Welcome to the WXYNZ Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Whitley Rainwater, and with me are your co-hosts, Zan Mangum and Zane Smith. What is up, our fantasy football listeners? It's Whitley Rainwater and my friend Zane Smith with me here today. We have just had a flurry of fantasy football drafts. And we want to dedicate this episode to our flag plants for the year and our ADP crushers. What's going on, Zane? Not much, man. You are right about that. We have had a flurry of drafts. Um, I, I always wonder, you know, what's my limit? How many drafts can I keep up with? I did seven leagues a few years back. And it was tough, man. It was grueling. You know, I, basically when breaking news hit my phone, I, I immediately had to prioritize, you know, which league I care about the most <laughs> to get on yeah. and, you know, pick up that player because everybody gets it at the same time. And, you know, it's a frenzy. It's a race to get to that guy. And so obviously I can't, you know, get to him first in all seven leagues. Um, so it, it makes uh, at least some tough decisions on that. And this year, uh, I, I'm back. I'm back at seven leagues again. So, I've got, I've had about six drafts in the past three nights. Last night, I did a live auction draft with our league mate Poston in his league. Uh, we were all there together, and that started at 8 p.m. And the Spires League also started at 8 p.m. So I was do- double drafting. I was drafting on my phone on a snake, and also live in person making bids on an auction. And there was a few uh, times where I was bidding on an auction guy and trying to make my pick in the snake. So I am glad that it is finally over and the <laughs> rosters are locked in. Good thing you were prepared, man. So that way you <laughs> yeah. can just double fist it. Like you said, you're just bidding on auction players while it's headed to be your turn in the snake draft. That's a that's a lot going on at once. It's a lot of pressure sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's dive right into it. Um, we both put in quite a bit of prep work every fantasy season and we research what happened last season. We listen to a bunch of fantasy experts as far as their podcast and all their content they churn out every summer. And I'd say like me and you probably two months before every fantasy football draft, we go almost daily into some research. And so this year we wanted to kind of present our flag plants, which is our players that you know, they're top 20, 30 players that everyone's going to have high expectations of. But we just think, man, these guys might go nuclear this year. And um, I'll start out with my first one. And it's a guy that I've been on for years um, is Amon Ra St. Brown. And <clears throat> he's kind of like the Bud Light version of Cooper Cup. And some people are like, well, he's too small. Some people are like, oh, this guy, he just doesn't run deep enough routes. And you know, yada, yada, yada. But I will say this about Amon Ross St. Brown. Here's the number of receivers that have outscored him since midway through his rookie year. It's two receivers, Justin Jefferson and Devontae Adams. Number three is my boy, Amon Ra St. Brown. He's done mm. nothing but produce since being put in a starting role his midway through his rookie season. So this is from 2021, midway through his rookie season. We have Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams. That's like elite, elite wide receiver 
royalty. And then number three, since 2021, Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, last year, he could have gone even even higher places than he went. I mean, he was nicked up. He missed some games. He had an ankle injury. Um, so, I mean, if he plays a solid full 17 games this year, the sky is the limit for this guy. He could break the reception record um, in the NFL. I mean, that's in well within the realm of possibilities. Last year was a freak deal, but he got tackled inside like the three-yard line multiple times. I'm talking probably more than five times. And Jamal Williams. Calvin Johnson treatment, man. Is it <laughs> – before you go on, I just got to yeah. ask a question. Is, is it a lion's curse? It might be. It might be. I mean, <laughs> this might, this guy could be set up for greatness this year and never achieve it. And, yeah, it might be – who knows, man. I mean, there's no telling what could derail Amon Ross St. Brown. But if this man plays 17 full games, his touchdowns yeah. will come up from last year. Jamal Williams had so many little one- or two-yard – punching in touchdowns last year um, because Amon Ra was tripped up, tackled at the one and two yard line. Um, he's going to yeah. be fed targets. He's a target monster. Um, if he gets a higher a dot on some plays and um, they scheme him to some of those, some of those uh, lengthier routes and catches, man, I mean, he could, he could chew up yardage as well, but I expect the touchdowns to go up. I expect him to be a target hog and give you that safe PPR floor. And people think the upside's not there, but I'm telling you, if he plays full 17 games, the upside is there. I will go ahead and stand on this, that if he plays a full 17 games, this man will be a lock to be a top five receiver. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I could not agree more. And yeah, I mean, I, I definitely uh, am starting to realize now it definitely might be a wide receiver one Lions curse to get tackled. Uh, just shot the goal line. It seemed like it happened to Calvin Johnson all the time. And last year, Amon Ra. And to that point, Amon Ra literally turned Jamal Williams into a fantasy star. Uh, without Amon Ra, Jamal Williams would be the same guy he's always been. And the same guy he's going to be this year on, this, on the Saints. And that's just a deep, deep bench player that you pray to God that you never had to put into your starting lineup. Um, and, and last year, he was not that. He... <laughs> literally led the league in rushing touchdowns thanks to Amon Ra. And I could not agree more. I mean, I am heavy, heavy shareholder of Amon Ra. I have him in numerous leagues. He is my breadwinner in multiple leagues. So if he gets hurt, I'll see you guys next year. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> but the sun God, man, I just feel like there's big things this year coming for the sun God. Yeah, for sure. And to that point you made about, you know, the stats that you were sharing to go a little bit deeper into that um, last year, he got a, a, a 146 targets in 15 games. He got not out of one game at the very beginning and didn't play in, a, in another one. And he was averaging even with that game wow. that counts towards his average where he got one target where he got hurt immediately. He still was pushing 10 targets a game. If you remove those two games and take his 10 target average and incorporate those back in, he is only eight targets behind Justin Jefferson and more targets than Tyreek Hill and Stefan Diggs pretty significantly. So when we ask ourselves, you know, what makes a league winning receiver? Talent obviously comes to mind, right? 
Yeah, we had to focus a lot on the situation at hand, uh, and it comes down to workload mixed with talent. You got to have both. 170 targets is a dream scenario, and when we look at that, the problem is it's hard to predict. You think a guy like AJ Brown, there was years when he was with the Titans when everybody you ask knows that AJ Brown is one of the most talented receivers in the NFL, top five, but he's only getting a hundred targets in that offense. And so he had to be extremely efficient to, to be a top tier fantasy receiver. And there was just a lot of ups and downs and inconsistent weeks that drove everybody nuts. Either he explodes or he doesn't. Um, Amon Ra, I mean, the tar- if there was one receiver in this draft besides Justin Jefferson, that I think is just an absolute lock for a massive workload, it's Amon Ra. It's a perfect scenario. Um, they're going to throw the ball a lot. They have a lot of, you know, with Jameer Gibbs, they're, they're just not going to pound the ball with David Montgomery. They're going to be more prolific and creative this year with the tools that they have. And there's a Monra, and there's nobody else to throw to. And so he's going to get a massive workload. He has the talent, and I cannot wait for him to explode this year. Yeah, I agree. And he he travels the part of the field that Jared Goff, Jared Goff loves the most, and that's the middle of the field. And you cannot stop him from getting open in the middle of the field. I mean, last year, defenses caught on to, okay, Amon Ross clearly the the focal point of this offense. Let's try to stop him. Let's bracket him. Let's double him. It didn't really matter. It was kind of like Julian Edelman back in the day to where you could double that guy, and he's still going to get open, and Brady will find him over the middle. So the same thing is going to happen time and time again with Amon Ross St. Brown. But let's uh, let's go up to your flag plant, um, number one of the year, Zane. What do we got for us? Man, flag plant, you know, I hate to copy you, but Amon Ra is my number one. But since we kind of shed some light on that, I'm going to pivot to Calvin Ridley. Um, Calvin Ridley is another guy that me and you both um, have yep. a lot of sh- uh, shares of. Me and you were very, very on board with his potential this year, and you know, I just love it. I love the the value that you're getting there. I got him in the fourth round in one of my drafts. You know, the last time that we saw Calvin Ridley locked in and healthy, he was a top receiver in the league. And now he's going to a team that, you know, turned Christian Kirk, uh, somebody who never found success with the Cardinals. And as far as I'm concerned, isn't that great of a wide receiver. I mean, he's, he's good, but if you ask me if he could be the wide receiver 11 to get on the year, I would say no. I think he overperformed his talent level last year because of that offense and because of, that, of Trevor Lawrence. Now you plug an actual top 12 receiver talent-wise into that same role, and I'm expecting huge things from Calvin Ridley this year. Uh, the fourth round was extremely disrespectful. Luckily, you know, in most of my leagues, you took him really early uh you went second round in one league on calvin ridley i went second round on (laughs) calvin ridley in in one league and so we kind of pushed that adp up but for the most part in most leagues you're you're seeing him go late third round early fourth uh which i think he could absolutely blow that adp out of the water and if you went receiver heavy and got him fourth round like in in some of my leagues He's, he's my flex. Uh, he's my flex receiver. And if that is your scenario and you have Ridley as your flex receiver, uh, as long as you can get a running back that can even just put up 10 points a game, 
you are, are going to be just fine this year. Yeah, I agree. And I would um, love to give you pushback on this, but I'm in the same boat with you on Ridley. And I will say the naysayers, they're going to say, well, the guy hasn't played football in a year and a half. They're going to say, oh, you have too many, too many target options with Christian Kirk, with Evan Ingram, with Zay Jones. And I'm going to push back on both of those narratives for a little while because if you watch any of Calvin Ridley this preseason or in camp, watch Zay Jones run a route and then watch Calvin Ridley run a route. It's like 2x speed. Yeah. The guy has not lost a step one bit. And the Jaguars are, they're projecting to us that they will feature this man. Like he will be in every two wide receiver set with Zay Jones. Christian Kirk will not be. Um, And, Calvin Ridley will be featured in this offense. The last time he played a full season of football, he was wide receiver number four. Um, he's yeah. even been productive when he was with Julio Jones, when Julio Jones was doing Julio Jones things. Um, and I just think the sky's the limit for Calvin Ridley. Some people are offended, like, oh, you can't just leave and come right back and then just be fed the football and tell these other guys to move aside. Yeah, I think you can if you're Calvin Ridley. Because, like, yeah. Matt Harmon does reception perception – he tracks everyone's routes, how they fare against man coverage, zone coverage, how they fare against press, how often they get open, whether they're targeted or not, how many routes they're running, um, all the snaps and everything. And Calvin Ridley pops off the charts and has ever since. I mean, he is he has exceeded expectations other than, you know, when he literally left the NFL and then got, you know, uh, suspended for gambling. But when he's been on the football field, the man produces. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm the same as you when I'm staring down the tier of even up to Jalen Waddell, Chris Olave, Hopkins, uh, Slim Reaper, Devonta Smith, Metcalf, T. Higgins. I'm auto-clicking Calvin Ridley every time. Um, yeah, I get there's risk baked in. I get the negative, but, man, the upside is just so evident there. Yeah, for sure. And when we talk about, like, the naysayers of, oh, he hasn't played football in a, in a year or two – um, to me, you know, I've been a lot, around a lot of football players, you know, Zan, who's a, a member of this podcast, um, you know, I've seen him not play for years and then step right in and be the, be the same guy, you know, talent doesn't go away. And to me, we don't use that same argument for guys who get hurt, who makes, makes yeah. it even worse. You know, Cooper cup was hurt. It, it felt like two years in a row and barely played football and then comes in and is a fourth round pick that, you know, pretty much won everybody in the league. And when you get injured, that's a lot harder to come back from than just not playing at all. You can make an argument that he's fresh and ready to roll. And so, you know, I don't, I don't buy into that argument. Uh, talent, like I said, talent does not just go away. He's only 28 and this is the best scenario he's ever been in, um, in terms of what he can achieve. So I think his ceiling is extremely high. Yeah, I mean, think about it. If he didn't miss any time and he went straight from the Falcons, who were a descending franchise with Noodle Arm, Matt Ryan, and you see, hey, he gets traded to the Jacksonville Jaguars, second year Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence in ascending offense, like people would be all over Calvin Ridley, probably at the back end of the first round. There's no doubt about it in my mind. I think everyone's just scared off because he missed some time. Yeah, 100%. So let's roll into my second flag plant. Um, man, this feels like a homer pick. And I, everyone can attest, I, I do not just gravitate towards Cowboys players because they're Cowboys players. 
but with Tony Pollard, I think the industry is missing something here. This and Tony Pollard is my flag plant. Pollard, I'm telling you, this is like Austin Eckler 2.0. When Melvin Gordon left the Chargers, everyone's like, well, man, Austin Eckler, he's just kind of been that utility gadget guy. You know, like who's going to come in and take the bulk of the carries? Who's going to, you know, Austin Eckler's not big enough. He can't, he can't take this workload. Um, yeah, he's been efficient with his touches and like, I'm sure they'll keep scheming him the same way, but like everyone was so scared off of him that first year. Um, now Pollard is going higher than Eckler was when Melvin Gordon left the Chargers, opposed to you know Zeke leaving the Cowboys. But the people that say, "Oh, Pollard's not big enough," the guy is six foot tall, two hundred and eleven pounds. Like, yeah, he happens yeah. to be an electric back in space when they get him the ball. And I'm not saying they're going to pound him three hundred times a year, like. Derek Henry usage, but he doesn't need that. This guy had 193 carries and 55 targets last year, finished as the RB7 and half point PPR. And I I get it. He had crazy efficiency, which should dip this year, but his usage, I mean, who's gonna take carries from this man? Are they are the Dallas Cowboys gonna prioritize feeding Deuce Vaughn five foot, you know, five foot seven Deuce Vaughn? multiple times a game to take from Tony Pollard's workload. There's really the only, only point of hesitancy I have with Tony Pollard is he's coming off that bad fracture, but the Cowboys are saying he he's good to go. He looks like he's got pop in camp. I mean, I don't see why this guy is not a first round running back. Yeah, absolutely. I have no pushback on that. Uh, Tony Pollard you know, everybody talks about his size. He's a pair of work boots and some wet clothes away from being the same weight as Zeke. And Zeke was a bowling ball. Um, so I think 211 pounds is perfectly fine uh, size-wise. And you don't want them any bigger than that because then they lose their speed, their pop, and they're just not going to break that 50-yard run, which he did literally seven times last year. Um, so he is, in terms of running backs, w- w- there is no argument to be made, not even close, he is the most explosive running back in the NFL right now going off of last year's statistics. The next closest runner had three uh, plays that big. So uh, Tony Pollard more than doubled that uh, last year. And he, if all signs are pointing to he's healthy and they say he looks good, then I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, think about going through this summer. Everyone's like, oh, Zeke's coming back. Zeke's coming back. You know, it, it never Pollard's ADP never moved. It was always like, oh, Zeke's about to come back. This, the Cowboys are going to sign somebody. The Cowboys got to sign somebody. It's like, oh, the Cowboys drafted fourth round Deuce Vaughn, you know, gadget back, a true gadget back, not like Pollard. And, oh, they, you know, Zeke actually went to New England. Oh, I guess, you know, no one ever, Dalvin Cook never came to the Cowboys. So everyone was waiting on that and it never happened. And Tony Pollard's ADP still never moved. I'm not saying someone should take him like fourth overall because you can take CMC or Eckler fourth overall. Um, But, you know, if you can get Tony Pollard in the second round, that's just league winning upside in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, bait into this conversation, you know, what we're doing right now is giving our audience our flag plans, the, the guys that we think could win you the league. And part of the reason why these guys are so valuable is because Amon Ra and Tony Pollard are going at the end of the first, second round 
in late into the second round. I got him at pick 19 in one of my drafts, and same with Tony Pollard. You see them mostly going in the second round. So with their potential, they could easily produce more than most of the first-round picks, and that's your second player drafted. So if you got one of those first-round guys and added them, then that is why they have such league-winning upside. They're not your first guy. It's just icing on the cake along with your first-round pick. And if they end up reaching that ceiling that we're talking about, that we predict they will, and end up being that that top five at their position, you are steamrolling teams. Yes, sir. All right. And we're trying to provide our listeners with just a quick episode here to kind of give our flag plants. We have NFL kicking off tomorrow. We're going to do a draft recap episode um, tomorrow night, maybe Friday, whenever we can kind of squeeze it into these crazy schedules. Um, But we're 20 minutes in here. We probably got about 20 minutes left and quite a few players to go through. Zane, who's your next player? Yeah, so here I kind of want to transition over to ADP crushers. Um, The flag plants, like I just mentioned, are guys we think could win you the league. These next group of players aren't guys that are necessarily going to single-handedly win you the league, but guys that I really feel um, are going to outperform their ADP in terms of where you grab them at. Um, Calvin really is a hybrid. He definitely falls into both categories uh, for me. But this next group of guys, like I said, are guys that I think were just being disrespected in the ADP and going a little bit late. And I'm happy to say that a lot of the guys on my list, I got shares of in in almost all my leagues. Um, So I want to start with Amari Cooper. Uh, Amari Cooper, to me, people are hot and cold on him. You know, a lot of people don't see it, you know, with the Browns and Deshaun Watson. You know, he fell to the end of the fourth round. Mm -hmm. Uh, To me... This guy finished as the number eight wide receiver last year with Jacoby Brissett as his quarterback. (laughs) And historically speaking, Jacoby Brissett is a wide receiver killer. No receivers ever put up big fantasy numbers with him as their quarterback. And so last year in the offseason, the only conversation I heard about Amari Cooper all year long was how the odds of him finishing with a great season – with Jacoby Brissett is almost zero. And he got pushed down to the seventh round, and the guy finished as the number eight receiver. He did what no other man has done <laughs> so far and finished as a top 10 receiver with Jacoby as his as his QB. And on wow. top of that, you look at the, the, the other options, and you have Donovan Peoples-Jones, Elijah Moore. I'm hearing, you know, things coming through camp that – they're using Elijah Moore as a running back on some plays, uh, which is great. That adds value to him. But that kind of tells me that, like, with the Debo treatment, you know, when they use him as a running back, they whenever that was taken away, he lost a ton of value at receiver. And he wasn't putting up receiver numbers that would have got him in that top five like he was without that running back. So it sounds to me like Amari Cooper is the guy. He's the number one receiver by a long shot. And now you add in Deshaun Watson. If he returns to form and bounces back to what he was with the Texans, and this guy finished as a number eight receiver with Jacoby Brissett, he might explode. And he might be a super value deal in the fourth round. And then pivoting to another, you know, third, fourth round guy, I've seen Jameer Gibbs kind of going all over the place. Um, You know, early third round, you know, late fourth round, it's kind of a variance, but let's just say on average, he's going at the end of the third round. 
I think in PPR, that could be a monster value. I've only heard good things about him from camp. They're calling him a Swiss Army knife. He's just slicing up defenders. You know, that has big play potential. Like we mentioned earlier with the case with the Monroe, the reason we're so excited is because there's just nobody else to throw to on the team. You know, yep. and, and Jameson Williams isn't coming back till you know, midway through the season. And we don't know what he's going to look like because he was not good when he came back last year. He caught one deep pass, and that was pretty much the only thing he did um, last season. So I think there is going to be a really, really high probability that Jameer Gibbs is going to get a ton of targets, just an absolute ton in that offense. And the fact that he has big play potential on top of that, if you give him enough opportunities, he's going to rip off some big plays. And if this guy gets enough goal line carries and enough, you know, just carries in general, if they end up giving him 12 carries a game mm-hmm. and using him in that third down role, uh, this guy could be the next Austin Eckler. And he yeah. could be a league winner that you got in, in the fourth round. Man, I love that. And I think, you know, the Lions paying David Montgomery that three-year deal of big money has scared people off of Gibbs. But if we just follow the historical data of – rookie running backs take him with that high draft capital in the NFL draft, they always pay off. I mean, he should, he should finish as a top 10 running back based off historical data with how high he was drafted. You know, there, there's always some of those guys that, you know, there's people have the CEH in their minds of like, Oh, I drafted him in the first round. He didn't quite pan out, but I mean, it's not like he didn't produce anything. And most times when people, when an NFL franchise drafts somebody that high, they use them. So I, I agree with you. I think that's a great pick. And his, I think he's just being suppressed because we have Bijan Robinson and everyone just kind of clung to him, thrust him in the first round. And Gibbs, I mean, we might look up and be like, why in the world did we wait till round three to draft Jamar Gibbs? Yeah, I mean, almost the same the same type of role. He's not going to have as many you know ground attempts as B. John Robinson, but how much is that going to mean in the Atlanta Falcons offense? And yep. with, you know, the Lions, I predict, I think everybody predicts that they're going to score a lot more uh, touchdowns and they're going to rack up a lot more offensive yards as a team than the, the Atlanta Falcons. And that could cover that gap. I mean, it's not out of this realm to think that Jameer Gibbs could have a, a, a very similar season to B. John Robinson. Yeah, I'm scared that I'm that I missed on Gibbs because I didn't get any shares of Gibbs, and and I agree with everything you're saying. I mean, if we think back to um, DeAndre Swift and his tenure with the Lions, I mean, he was a fringe RB one, and the Lions coaching staff never liked DeAndre Swift. The guy was always hurt. He was always in the doghouse with the coaching staff. And think about, I mean, how they're going to use Gibbs in the same way that they were deploying Swift, but they actually like the guy. I mean, when they yeah. got him in the NFL draft, it panned to like a video of, of their coaching staff and management. And it looks like they were celebrating like they had won the Super Bowl when they yeah. drafted Jamar Gibbs. Yeah. So, and they still had DeAndre Swift at that point in time. Yeah. I mean, it, what, like what the rest of the world thought was a lateral move, they, they won the Super Bowl. So that's how excited they are about this guy. And obviously, you know, if Swift was a valuable piece on your fantasy team for a couple of years, which he was when he was healthy, and to see their excitement and how fast they were willing to spend their 12th, their first round pick, 12th overall on this guy and mm-hmm. ship off Swift, 
they, in my mind, they have to absolutely use him and have a high usage or else that makes no sense to me. Yep. I agree completely. Um, I'm going to roll into one of my ADP crushers and this is Christian Watson. So he's a very polarizing player. Um, last year to sum it up, this guy was a rookie wide receiver playing with Aaron Rodgers, who doesn't like rookie wide receivers and beginning of the year had a hamstring injury that he dealt with. So the first like eight weeks of the season, it was hamstring injury, hamstring injury, game after game. He finally gets cleared to play. He has a concussion, gets taken out. Um, he comes back in for like a four-game stretch and averages eight or more targets a game and blows up and goes nuclear for 20 points a game. Then yep. he gets a hip injury and kind of fizzles out at the end. But so, I mean, he had nagging injuries throughout the entire season. But when we saw a small sample size, I agree, it is a very small sample size. But when we saw this man fully healthy and learning how to play wide receiver as a rookie get deployed in the Green Bay offense and Aaron Rodgers, who usually does not trust young receivers, feed him eight targets a game. The guy went nuclear. The I, I get that he's from a small college school, doesn't have like the pedigree as some of these other second round receivers but second i'm sorry second year receivers but second year receivers is when we see breakouts um he doesn't have the draft cost as a chris Olave. um he doesn't have the draft cost as garrett wilson and i'm not saying he's going to put up garrett wilson numbers i'm not saying he's going to be fed as consistently in this offense there's quarterback questions with jordan love can you know what will be the drop off from an aging Aaron Rodgers to this young Jordan Love who the Packers are have been grooming for years. Like it might be disastrous. Um, he might be a, just a boomer bust, you know, fifth round receiver. But man, if he has the game breaking speed and we've seen on some of those plays where he just takes a slant and houses it for 70 yards, he has that kind of speed. And he might not be just a target hog like we've referred to with Amon Ross St. Brown and other receivers like Calvin Ridley. He might not have the expanded route tree and be able to to burn man and zone coverage. But I just look around at the Packers offense and I'm like, eh. I mean, Romeo Dobbs, like hats off to him. He's a late round receiver. He's played pretty good. They've got some rookie tight ends. But man, where are these targets going to go in Green Bay? I think it's going to go to Christian Watson. And if he can average eight targets or 10 targets a game, this guy could put up insane numbers at a fifth round draft pick cost. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He is extremely exciting, young. And if Jordan Love, he's the X factor. If Jordan Love can, can pull it together, you know, obviously the big disclaimer here is that last year it was Aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball, not Jordan yep. Love. Um, to that point, Aaron Rodgers did not have a great season. He did not have an Aaron Rodgers-like season. And so I agree with you. For the naysayers who will point that out, you know, I think there's a pretty good chance that Jordan Love puts up similar numbers, not probably not as good, but similar numbers to what Rodgers did last year. And if Watson plays a full season, great value in the fifth round. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, like I said, he's a fifth round receiver. It might not pan out. It wouldn't cost you that much if it doesn't. He could be just a boomer bust where, man, 
we look back and Christian Watson had five games where he just went nuclear and scored somebody 25 points and then, you know, had way too many six and seven point games. It might be that way. But if the Packers do just feed him the easy targets and give him like a PPR floor and then he has those huge weeks on top of that, he could just be a very, very valuable receiver that we're getting in the fifth round. I'm just betting on upside when it gets to fifth round and later. And I just I see it with Christian Watson. Um, who's Absolutely. your next player, Zane? Um, so my next player, uh, I, I got this guy in a few leagues, and I got him really late. And the value on this guy, to me, is otherworldly. And I'm talking about Brandon Ayuk. Uh, we are seeing him go in the seventh, sometimes the eighth round in 12-man PPR. And when you do a deep dive on Brandon Ayuk, you know, everybody kind of has that stain in their memory from two years ago. When he had a lot of hype, he was getting drafted a lot higher than Debo Samuel. And then week one, he's in the doghouse. They don't even play him. And then, you know, Debo has the year that he has, and we kind of put him on the back burner. But we've seen over time him get out of that doghouse and him earn targets. One thing that we always talk about, you know, in our discussions is that receivers that earn targets, right? Yep. There are a large group of receivers that earn that workload no matter what the situation is. And where I'm going with that is that the naysayers will say, well, you know, is Brock Purdy, we don't know how good he is really. He had a good stretch, but can he actually sustain a full season of delivering the ball in a crowded room with Kittle, McCaffrey, and Debo? Uh, people got really scared off of Ayuk this year because of how many threats are on that team to, to catch the ball, right? But here's yeah. my thing. Here's my thing with that. We saw it work just fine with Tampa Bay. We saw it work fine for a couple of years with the, the Cowboys. We've seen it work fine in a lot of different scenarios where there are multiple receivers on the team because the talent always prevails. And if this guy earns targets, no matter who is on the field with him, he is going to get those targets if he has earned them. And I think Brendan Ayuk has last year, with the same squad for the most part. I do understand that there was some injuries to Debo and Kittle and things like that throughout the season, but he got 147, or I'm sorry, 114 targets last year. Mm-hmm. And when you look at his target share, within three targets, he's in the same exact ballpark as Chris Olave, Terry McLaurin, and Jalen Waddle. And Olave and Waddle are going second round this year. Yep. So he got <laughs> as many targets as some of these guys that you're seeing going off the board really, really high. And I really don't expect that to change. I mean, 114 targets is extremely reasonable uh, for his situation, even with Debo and Kittle being healthy. And I hate trying to predict injuries, and I never want to draft a guy relying on injuries, but George Kittle and Debo Samuel are extremely injury-prone and they run a ton of routes over the middle where they get hit a lot. So I do not anticipate both of those guys staying healthy the entire year. And when one of those guys goes down, it's going to be Brennan Ayuk season in San Francisco. Yeah, I, was, I agree. I was going to say the same thing. We don't project injuries, but man, he's got an aging cast around him that are injury prone. So the chances of, you know, CMC, Kittle and Debo all staying healthy throughout the entire season is pretty slim. Brandon Ayuk is not a household name, but he is one of the best receivers in the league. Um, 
So the only question is, man, they have a lot of mouths to feed, and that's what suppresses his value. But Ayuk is definitely um, set to to finish as wide receiver 15 or even higher this year. Um, I'm going to give you my last three flag plants. I'm going to run through these pretty quickly. Um, first one, Darren Waller. And I know the last two years he's had the injuries. He's been dealing with Devontae Adams and the Raiders um, and mostly just the injuries. I mean, he's still a 31-year-old tight end, um, which isn't a spring chicken, but it's not 33-year-old Travis Kelsey. And he hasn't had like a long career of his body just taking a beating. But Darren Waller will be utilized by the Giants in a Brian Dable offense, who I, a coach I trust, um, to use his weapon that he traded for. Um, Daniel Jones isn't as bad as everyone thinks. And again, um, Darren Waller is going to um, be running the routes that Daniel Jones likes to throw to and target. Um, and there's no alpha receivers. I mean, Darren Waller will be the focal point of the fat of the passing game in the New York Giants offense. He will be the target leader if he stays healthy. It's just a question of will he stay healthy. So, I mean, in our league, I reached up and got him in the fourth round. But in a lot of leagues, you could take him in the fifth. Um, before the preseason, you could even take him in the sixth and seventh, which is criminal. Um, but Darren Waller, I fully believe in. <laughs> Um, secondly, yeah. Is, so before yeah. you go into your second wig, I want to shed some light on Darren Waller as well, because he's on my list of ADP crushers too. And I a hundred percent agree. Uh, when I look at him, one thing that I found very intriguing is the fact that in almost every league that I'm in, even, even the league, even our league where you took him in the fourth round, TJ Hawkinson still went before him in almost every league. Universally, the fantasy community has TJ Hawkinson, up really high and I just don't I don't get that I mean Hawkinson has had some big games but he's never been consistent and his best year didn't even come close to Darren Waller's best year now I know that Waller is a little bit more injury prone but one thing that we always talk about when we when we say what makes a league winning tight end every year there's three of them sometimes like last year only one so there's very very few and far in between the tight ends are hardly ever league winners. It's very frustrating. But the ones that are league winners, they usually have one thing in common. There is no alpha receivers on the team. Travis Kelsey, mediocre receivers all around him, except for the years with Tyreek, obviously. Mm-hmm. But last year, when he had his best year, it was a cast of mediocre receivers. You know, Darren Waller, when he was with uh, the, the Raiders and had that yep. big year. Before Devontae uh, we, Adams. Yeah, before Devontae Adams got there, we we saw it there. And then even, you know, going back in time with Zach Ertz at the Eagles when he had his big year, Mm -hmm. you know, George Kittle with the 49ers. And then last but not least, the most obvious one, Mark Andrews. Everybody has talked about for so long how the the Ravens have just not surrounded Lamar Jackson with any receiver talent. And for those years, Mark Andrews was the best receiver. And it's true and true time and time again, when there is no alpha receiver, the tight end is usually a great, great pick and outperforms the other tight ends. And when we look at the Vikings, you have a young stud in Jordan Addison and the best receiver in the league in Justin Jefferson. So for me, just based off that fact, I'm taking Waller over Hawk every time uh, just because of that, that exact fact that remains true throughout the course of time. Yep, I agree. Um, my last two flag plants would be number one, James Cook. And 
I get it. Everyone's leery of a Buffalo running back. Um, I get it. They signed, who was it, Damian Harris after Devin Singletary left. Um, so, yeah, Josh Allen likes to run it in when they get close to the goal line. Damian Harris will vulture some touchdowns. I actually kind of just am thankful in the preseason that Damian Harris did go in for that one-yard touchdown and get it so that we could kind of keep the narrative alive to suppress James, James Cook's value of, oh, he's just going to yeah. get vultured every time by Damian Harris. Um, James Cook will be targeted by Josh Allen in the passing game. And he has a legit chance to have a workhorse type role, um, which workhorse in the modern NFL is like, you know, 65, maybe 70 percent of snaps. If he gets that on a Buffalo Bills offense, what's not to love about that? Um, he has game breaking speed. Um, he can catch the ball. I mean, Damian Harris is not going to take him out of third down and two minute offenses. Um, he's not going to take him down when James Cook is fresh out of the first and second down roll. So I don't know why um, he hasn't gained more steam over the offseason, but James Cook is a smash pick for me in the later rounds. And my second one is um, a Washington Redskins receiver, and it's not Scary Terry. It is Jahan Dotson. Jahan Dotson is a second-year receiver that does not share the hype with all the other second-year receivers like Garrett Wilson and Olave. Um, he, too, was last year injured on and off. Um, when he was healthy, his numbers were scary similar to Terry McLaurin. This guy has Sam Howell now throwing the ball, which I can argue will be a step up from what he had last year and what that Washington offense has had. And – they have the Chiefs OC um, coming over to, to help kind of rev up their offense. But Jahan Dotson, um, again, going back to reception perception, he gets open. He is a precise route runner. He's a second-year receiver with tons of upside. Um, I know people are scared off because they, they're thinking, oh, the volume for the Redskins won't be good enough. They won't have a good enough supporting quarterback to feed McLaurin and Dotson. But I'm telling you, the talent will prevail this year, and Jahan Dotson – um, will become more of a household name after this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree with your philosophy um, for the most part. And this is one that me and you have gone back and forth on that I've been hot and, and cold on. You know, I can see it's one of these rare scenarios where I can see it both ways. I don't feel super strong about either one and I can see it going in both directions. Uh, the thing for me, as much as I love your, your facts and your analysis on that, uh, and I mentioned this to you yesterday, whenever I sit there and look myself in the mirror and say out loud, Sam Howell is going to turn the number two receiver on the Washington Commanders into a star, I immediately feel like a clown uh, for saying that. <laughs> yeah. It seems it seems so illogical uh, just, just hearing that out loud, but the points you made are great, and it's just one of those situations where I'm weary of him, I did not get any shares of him uh, in, in any of my drafts because people did value him uh, pretty high um, in that regard because they kind of agree with you for the most part. I feel like the, the fantasy community does agree with you. Um, so I did not get any shares of him, but it's definitely the one player that I'm scared to miss out on. And if he does pop off, uh, I won't be surprised. Yes, sir. Do you have any so, more flag plants for us? Yeah, so I'm going to wrap it up here with my last two um, ADP crushers. 
And I'm going to go the running back route here. And I'm going to go with Miles Sanders and J.K. Dobbins. Um, and, and the ADPs, they're both, for the most part across the board, ranked as the number 19th and number 20th RBs. So you're in the realm of running back number two on your team, like end, like low end running back two on your teams. And I could see them absolutely blowing that out of the water. Um, J.K. Dobbins was so good for that short stretch when he was healthy and getting the ball. Then he tore yep. his ACL last year. They because of that injury, that was a huge injury that takes a while to bounce back from. And last year, you could tell. I mean, they did not want to commit to putting him out there. And I don't think it's because they don't think he's good. I think they just really want to protect their asset yep. and not overwhelm him and and lead the injury. Now here we are, you know, two years later after the injury, and I just you know see an explosion on the horizon from J.K. Dobbins. Uh, I think it's been plenty of time, and he's fully healed. And to go off that point, last year, J.K. Dobbins did not play in a single game, a single game where he got more than 50% of the snap count. Yep. Not once, not a single game. He had two games right at 50, uh, and then a bunch of games at about 40%, and then he was hurt for the rest. Well, even with that fact, if I told you that you should start a running back with 50% snap count, unless it's Nick Chubb, you're not excited about that. You don't want that guy in your lineup. Despite that, with only 50% snap count, he still had an 18-point game, a 14-point game, and a 23-point game. And so if you give this guy 75 to 80% of the snap count, which I'm expecting this year, I think he could explode. He had a four-game four stretch last year from week 14 through 17 where his yards per carry were 8, 9.62, 4.92 and 5.47. The year that he was healthy during that stretch, he was rushing for over six yards per carry. Oh, by the way, last year when he had those those four big games that that helped you out with under 50% snap count, he did not get a single target in any of those games. If they start throwing this guy the ball and making the third down back and give him 80% snap count with his his with his history of having a really high yards per carry. Man, for a six-round value, sign me up for that guy all day. And then Miles Sanders, I feel the same way about. He had 1,200 yards rushing last year in an Eagles offense that never committed to him. The Panthers, every single running back we put out there, you can start in fantasy. Whether it was <laughs> Chuba Hubbard when CMC went down, whether it was Dante Foreman, these are scrubs. These are not good running backs. And they were fantasy relevant. Mike Davis, Mike Davis, my friend, yep. was a fantasy stud uh, one year when Christian McCaffrey went down. And we and then he got pushed up to the fifth round the next year when he went to the Falcons. And it turns out you shouldn't even spend a 15th round pick on that guy. So we turned to the scrub and tricked everybody into thinking he was somewhat of a value at running back. So with the Panthers history of running backs, the fact that we have came out and said we're committing to him for a huge workload, a three down back, and the fact that he just proved that he can rush for 1,200 yards on a team with a running quarterback who also rushes for a ton of yards. Now we have a pure pocket passer in Bryce Young who we are not going to run. We are not going to run little tiny Bryce Young of the middle. It is going to be checked down every single time of running the ball uh, uh, there. So if Miles Sanders catches go up and with him and the Panthers uh, offense, even if our team is not good, 
I see Miles Sanders exceeding running back 20 pretty significantly. And both those guys and most of the drafts I'm in are going in the sixth round, which I think could be a mega value there. I love it. I love it. Um, Man, I agree. And I, I think there's so many running backs like Rashad White. I mean, I mean he could have a big workload. Um, and like you said, Miles Sanders and J.K. Dobbins, they we could look back and be like, man, what? You know, I guess we're scared off from the running back red um, dead zone. And now these guys that were probably last year going to be third and fourth rounders, you can get in the fifth and sixth, sometimes seventh round. Um, yeah. And to that point, the, that adds value to Miles Sanders and J.K. Dobbins, because if we're talking about them being, you know, in the sixth round, that's in the same round that guys like Isaiah Pacheco are yep. going, right? But you have like guys like Isaiah Pacheco and the one you mentioned, Rashad White. The reason they're going in the sixth round is because of their expected workload, because they're the, the RB1 on their team. But we don't trust these guys at all in terms of talent. We have no idea what these guys can do. And I don't think anybody is confident in saying that these are talented running backs. So if you can get Miles Sanders and J.K. Dobbins in the exact same round who have the same workload but have proven talent, sign me up all day. I like it. I like it. Um, I'm going to run through some later round guys and just kind of spitball these off. But some guys I think that go way too low, Deontay Johnson, number one. He's a target hog. I get he had a bad last year, zero touchdowns. That should regress back to the mean um, positively for Deontay Johnson. I think the fantasy industry has buried Cortland Sutton and Michael Pittman, and I don't think they're as bad as how they're being drafted. Um, Those offenses won't go away from them entirely. Um, And then later round, guys, I like Sky Moore. He's a full-time player on the Kansas City Chiefs. He has pretty high draft capital. Um, so I'm kind of excited to see how they use him. I think maybe between him and Kadarius Tony, one of those guys will pop. Um, another guy I like is Jalen Warren on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Najee, mm-hmm. you know, is just kind of looking like a slow plotter. And I know they have the first round draft capital in him, but man, Jalen Warren, when he gets the ball, um, he just does nice things with it. So I could, be, I could see him being last year, Tony Pollard-esque this year. Um, and then another guy is Anthony Richardson, uh, who I wish I had more shares of. But, I mean, running as far as a fantasy quarterback is just a fantasy cheat code. We all know this, and I get it. He's probably not going to be a good real-life quarterback, but that doesn't mean he can't be a top-10 um, fantasy quarterback with his legs only. He has Shane Steichen coming over to the Colts, who did wonders with Jalen Hurts. So it wouldn't surprise me if Anthony Richardson is a top-10 quarterback on the year but uh that kind of rounds out my my uh, later round guys what do you got for us yeah absolutely so a few later round guys for me i agree with all those picks you just made those are awesome late round values um the first one is going to be elijah mitchell uh, he's going 12th 13th round this was a guy who was a must start before chris mccaffrey got there and obviously you know he got he got hurt and is kind of injury prone but one thing that's super promising in week 10 last year, you know, keep in mind, Eliza Mitchell was only healthy for like three games last year and had a very, very low snap count. In week 10, he had a 35% snap count that logged 18 carries in that game. And so this guy can actually still be valuable with Christian McCaffrey on the team. And the very, very short sample size we had when they were both healthy, Eliza Mitchell was still on the field getting 
getting some touches. He was getting opportunities there. And then if Christian McCaffrey goes down, which is super probable, Christian McCaffrey is super injury prone and gets hurt all the time. And if he goes down, you might have yourself a league winner in Elijah Mitchell that you got super late. So definitely worth holding on to him. Um, some other guys that I love super late round, a lot of guys got Jamison Williams for free. You know, this guy's going to come back in week seven. Um, like I said, I don't think he's going to be a league winner or anything like that. But if you got him with the last pick, you can actually throw him on your IR slot. He won't even take up a spot on your roster. And when he comes back, there's a high probability that he is going to be one of your best bench players. And then last but not least, uh, I know this guy's got a lot of hype. It's no surprise here. This isn't a, a super bold, you know, pick, but Nico Collins, this guy has a really good chance of being a wide receiver one. I took Christian Kirk last year in the ninth round for the simple fact that he was the last wide receiver one left. And boy, did that pay off top 12 receiver with my ninth round pick. And not saying that Nico Collins is going to be a top 12 receiver, but if you can get a potential wide receiver one in the 12th round. If you need him as a crutch, if you're down bad, that's going to be a lot better than some of the other receivers that went there, like Jalen Hyatt, for example. Uh, Nico Collins went after Jalen Hyatt in our draft, and I can almost guarantee you that Nico Collins is going to have a much bigger year than Jalen Hyatt. Yeah, I think that's a good call. And Nico, he goes late enough where people should check their drafts and check their league to see if he's on the waiver wire. Um, same with Jamison Williams. You know, just double check on Elijah Mitchell, Jamison Williams, Nico Collins. See if those guys are out there. Um, they're definitely worth stashing. Absolutely. So, guys, we are going to wrap up this episode. Uh, just first and, and foremost, or last and foremost, you know, me and Willie want to apologize. I know during our uh, previous uh, episodes here, we really didn't go into detail with this on Guys We Love. And the main reason is because we are literally broadcasting this to guys that are almost in all of our leagues. Um, so we can't spill the beans and give everybody our pays going in. But I hope what we did do was helpful in trying to help you guys develop a, a strategy, you know, different methods, different tools, uh, philosophies, rather than just focusing on one guy. Because at the end of the day, we do encourage that you go get your guys. Um, there's no, nothing worse in fantasy than, you know, going and getting a guy that you don't really believe in, but all the podcasters are telling you to go pick. And then he flops. Um, at least if you pick that guy and he's your guy and he flops, there's uh, way more comfort in going down with the ship, uh, your ship, instead of being on a sinking ship that belongs to somebody else. Um, so from here on out, we're going to be doing, now that teams are selected, we're going to be doing way more detail on actual players and who we think is going to be great, you know, start, sit, and all the good stuff. And next episode, we are going to do a full-blown episode on the draft analysis we're going to go through our league's draft and analyze everybody's team who we think did well who we think did bad who we think reached on some picks and who we think got some great values so it should be a good one coming up yeah i'm very excited we'll go team by team and just kind of look at everyone's roster um just kind of give our two cents on it for whatever that's worth and then like you said kick it right off into the end season podcast we're one day away from football super fired up I know everyone's had a ton of drafts and hopefully whether you're playing against us in this league and listening um, or, you know, playing against some other people in other leagues, you can use some of these tidbits. And I mean, fantasy football is just fun. Like you said, let's get our guys. Let's let's be excited about watching football and just have fun playing fantasy football and diving into it. So 
Um, I can't wait to kick off the, the year. I can't believe it's one day away. Absolutely, man. The time is finally here. Yes, sir. But anyways, we're signing off and we'll be back up with another episode to do our draft recap and go from there. Yes, sir. <laughs>